Stand Up for the Truth is sponsored by Lakeshore Communications Incorporated and made possible by your generous tax-deductible donations at StandUpForTheTruth.com slash donate. This is Stand Up for the Truth, a packed hour of challenging discussion addressing important issues and topics affecting Christians across the nation. Join the conversation via email at comments at StandUpForTheTruth.com. Good morning, brothers and sisters in Christ. Thank you so much for tuning in to Stand Up For The Truth. I've got to start. I'm all out of breath. We're running back and forth from the office to the studio. And good morning, Mayor. Good morning. <laughs> <laughs> oh, it's, it's a crazy day. Uh, we are trying to uh, connect with Heidi St. John. She's such a blessing. And uh, her assistant tells me she recently had a medical procedure that she's recovering and we tried calling left a voicemail. I Unfortunately, I have just had a crazy week, and I forgot to touch base with her yesterday. Usually I do that the day before a podcast, touch base with the guest. I, I don't always do. Um, but we're hoping to talk about that. I want to mention her book, Prayers for the Battlefield. Very important. Mary is going to share a little testimony about that in a minute. But before we get to that, I just want to read some a couple of different verses from Psalm 27, because I need it, and hopefully it'll encourage you as we tackle some of the the subjects today. Um, so, verse 1, The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the defense of my life. Whom shall I dread? And then verse 4, One thing I have asked from the Lord that I shall seek, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to behold the beauty of the Lord, and to meditate in his temple. For in the day of trouble he will conceal me in his tabernacle. In the secret place of his tent he will hide me. He will lift me up on a rock. And then it says in verse 7, Hear, O Lord, when, when I cry with my voice, and be gracious to me and answer me. When you said, Seek my face, my heart said to you, Your face, O Lord, I shall seek. Verse 11, teach me your way, O Lord, and lead me in a level path because of my foes. Then verse 13 and 14, I would have despaired unless I had believed that I would see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. Wait for the Lord. Be strong and let your heart take courage. Yes, wait for the Lord. That's most of Psalm uh, 27. Just God put that on my heart this morning. I read that to my wife before I left for work. And you can keep praying for my wife, Rosanna. Um, if you're not on the private Facebook group, you can look that up on Facebook. It's called Rosanna's Journey. And you can get an update. I've got to send an update on there today just about what she's been going through cognitively with uh, her issues and impairment. And uh, it's been um, a, a challenge to keep up with just life uh, everyday things, tasks, and responsibilities. But here we are. We are battle ready. Um, so I had tentatively titled this podcast today, um, Armor On, Battle Ready, Grounded in Truth. Mary, I'm going to let you talk about, I, I don't know what year Heidi's book was written, Prayers for the Battlefield. 
Um, and But it is so good, and I'll, I'll bet it could be very useful to people today. Yes, it was written in 2018 when life was more normal. Oh, okay, well... <laughs> But it's, that, see, that still seems recent, but yeah, I, since I know, since twenty since the last uh, the decade of twenty 2020 twenty and twenty twenty one. Yes, yes. Well, and I wanted to share this this morning, and I hope she gets to hear this at some point because we'll um, make sure she does. God is a God of detail, and He is interested in every detail of our lives um, in these dark times, and we are not despairing, as the Psalm says, because we do see His His hand in the land of the living. A couple weeks ago. Well, this is a kind of a strange thing at, you know, out of the gate here. I was looking at t-shirts online with messages on the front written in Hebrew. Now, when you visit the land of Israel, these shirts are everywhere and most of them say Shalom or Jerusalem. This one said, Woman of Valor. And I thought, that's interesting. Uh, is that a thing? Um, once it reaches t-shirt status, it's gotta be a thing, right? Well, it's found in Proverbs 31, 10 to 31 about that Enigma of the Proverbs 31 woman. And it's a song that is sung before each Sabbath dinner to, to just, you know, praise the people who made the Sabbath dinner possible and the cleaning and all that. But verse 10 of Proverbs 31 says, a virtuous woman who can find. Well, in Hebrew, that word virtuous actually means a woman of valor. It's a military term that means valiant, capable, strong. It literally means strength on the battlefield. And I was so blessed to read that because I did not know that. But it's used elsewhere in Scripture of Joshua's mighty men. This word is used of David's mighty men. It's used of Ruth and others. Well, then I pick up the book. Right, not too long after that, it says prayers for the battlefield. And I thought, wow. how interesting is that? Yes. That the Lord allowed me to see that, um, mm-hmm. you know, that we're all in a war here, and especially for our kids. God has a wonderful sense of timing. He knows what we need. Amen. He knows what we need. And oh, and I did get the t-shirt, by the way. <laughs> um, but, I, but I wanted to ask her, there's a great quote in here to start out. Well, let's uh, hold that okay. thought right. because I think we have Heidi St. John on the line. Wow. Are you there, sister? Yes, I am. Good morning. Good morning. <laughs> were your ears burning when we were talking about you? Mostly good things. Uh, yeah, that's good. They they only burn when people talk about me bad things, so they weren't burning. <laughs> All right. Well, thank you. Uh, sorry about the potential mix-up here, but I'm so glad that we connected. Um, Mary was just sharing how your book, Prayers for the Battlefield, really ministered to her and I'll let you continue reading that quote and asking her the question. Okay, I don't know what you heard, Heidi, because I was talking about uh, Proverbs 10, a virtuous woman who can find. That actually means a woman of valor. It's a military term. It, 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 it literally means strength on the battlefield, and it's used of David's mighty men and Ruth and, and others. And, and uh, what a great sense of timing, then, to pick up your book, Prayers for the Battlefield. Uh, and you say something that you start out with in your book, because there are so many great devotionals in here, um, prayers for a mom or woman at any certain time in their life, whatever they're going through. And you say, there was a time in my life when I paid little attention to the spiritual side of mothering, choosing instead to focus my energy on meeting the physical demands of our family. And then you say, today, on the next page, most of us Christians don't get into the battlefield until the war gets out of control and someone calls for reinforcements. We're startled to attention when there's a school shooting or a national tragedy. And then we get our prayer on, showing up at candlelight vigils and praying around dinner tables. And then when it dies down, we hang up our helmets going back to the status quo. You call that reactionary faith or 911 faith. Can you tell us a little bit more about about that and, and how, I know that's a common thing, but what can we do to combat that, that reactionary kind of faith? Yeah, I, I think that just encapsulates the modern day church, right? We become a church that reacts 
rather than proactively walk to the Lord so that we are ready when these things come. Instead of reacting in fear, we're ready for it. Ephesians says that we're supposed to put on the full armor of God, and this is not something we're supposed to be doing on Sunday when we go to church. We're supposed to do it every single day. Amen. So waking up in the morning and realizing I am on a battlefield. Mm-hmm. And I think the the last couple of years, for sure, for me, the last three years, David and I have had this conversation many times, uh, has been a wake up call mm-hmm. for the church. And I hope mm-hmm. that we are that we are responding to it because God wants us to be ready for whatever comes. We're supposed to be suited up for battle. <laughs> you know, some of the things that I think are I have hurt us, have injured us. I think in this way is we we forget uh, in our culture of victimization. You know, the Bible says that uh, that we are supposed to be ready for battle. Did you know that the word for offense in the Greek is scandalon? It's literally the part of a trap where bait is hung. Mm. And we take the bait. We take the bait. And so I think the only way to be ready is to be in the Word and to be in prayer as a matter of habit and a matter of principle, not as a reactionary measure. Heidi St. John, who would have thought that we would live in an age where a Supreme Court justice refused to define what a woman is and said she couldn't do it because she's not a biologist. So I'm just wondering if you have any plans to rewrite or write a new version of Prayers for the Battlefield uh, post-COVID, post-gender surrender, post-truth edition. You know what? I, I should. I actually have a, a new <laughs> book coming out oh, um, good. In, just a, in just a couple of months. It's called uh, MomStrong 365. It's a 365-day devotional. Mm-hmm. But this was the reason that I launched MomStrong International, uh, and that is a ministry that is geared toward helping women react to what is happening according to God's Word and not in their flesh. So every single month, we release a brand new Bible study there. Wow. Uh, right now, Great. I'm taking them through the Bible, and talk, we're talking about the irreplaceable role of mothers, and that women and men are different, and God made us that way. Yes. I mean, why are we struggling with these things? We're mm-hmm. struggling because we, we have forgotten that God's Word is the authority. Genesis said that He made us male and female in His image. And so when we thought, when we talk about the gender wars, you know, Katanji uh, Jackson, Brown Jackson, <laughs> uh, here's we got a Supreme Court justice who's a coward. Yep. She knows that men, she knows what a woman is. She's a coward. She doesn't want the woke mob coming after her. Mm-hmm. And so yeah. how do we, how do we uh, prepare? We know the Word. Yeah, well, she's a radical leftist. She is um, obedient to her the ideology and the gods of the left, and those are the anti-Christian gods. And so they cannot uh, say God is a creator. They cannot say there is only male and female, they, and they cannot go down that road. But um, we're going to talk more about this in a couple minutes. We've also got some headlines, Heidi, that um, I'm looking at. I'm going, wow, I wish they would have done this years ago. But I want to go back. Uh, because it's been a while since we had you on. I know you and I recently spoke on your podcast. Uh, thank you. Yes. Uh, a few months ago, that was a fun conversation. But what did you learn while running for Congress? Uh, you were, <laughs> uh, you're obviously in a very blue state. And I know money was an issue because you were a candidate that I believe your state needed and our country needs more women of God like you and men of God, you know, to run, quite frankly. But, I'm sure you've been able to sum that up and just share your heart with the Christian audience that really wants to know what we don't understand about the ins and outs of politics and money. And uh, what did you learn? Oh, my goodness. Uh, that's, that's a question that's going to take me, you know, that could take me nine hours to answer. <laughs> I think the main thing that comes to my mind, I think it's important for people to know whenever I, I get asked about my run for Congress, 
is I did it out of obedience to the Lord. You know, we you don't jump into something like that. Mm. You know, I didn't run for school board or city council or even a state seat. I ran for a federal seat. And the warfare that surrounded it was extraordinary. It's like something I've never seen before in my life. Mm. And I believe that the church, Christians in general, we have surrendered this realm to the adversary. Amen. Yeah. We decided that politics is dirty, and so we shouldn't get in it. Well, what happens when God's people vacate something, evil will always fill vacuum. And so it was two years. I ran for Congress for almost two, two full years, and uh, it was exhausting. The thing, my big takeaway, honestly, I was heartbroken. I think I told you this uh, when it was over. I almost won my primary hmm. here. It was a very, uh, a very tough race. I think I got close to 37,000 votes, which in a primary is pretty decent. The person that won got, I think, right around 40,000. Hmm. But what hmm. my biggest takeaway was, I, and I think that God, honestly, the farther I get away from it, too, I'm I'm seeing things a little bit more clearly. Mm-hmm. The Republican Party in this country, in many ways, the platform is correct, but the party, in many ways, the people that are in it are corrupt. Mm. Yes, And so this goes for Republicans and Democrats. And I think the Lord really opened my eyes because I just thought, man, we just need... If just good people would run, which I still I still really do believe that, but we cannot make an idol of politics at the end of the day. And I really had to hang on to this, uh, especially after uh, the loss of the primary. And as we're watching our country, con- you know, continuing to circle the drain with, uh, you know, with the wicked people that we have in power. Hmm. God wants us to, to cry out to him. We're, we're, to, we're called to do what we can. And certainly that was part of, you know, the theme of my life, you know, prayers for the battlefield, uh, you know, my my whole life's mission has been to try to get people to get off the bench and get onto the battlefield. Thank you. But we have corruption on both sides of the aisle. And I saw things, and I actually do think I will write about this, but I saw things in the run that, that broke my heart to mm. a degree that I will never look at our country the same way again. Uh, I listened to conversations high-level conversation inside of the Republican Party. And I heard people talking about changing the, the language on abortion so that we could soften it, so that it would be more palatable to people on the left. I heard people talking about uh, surrendering our opposition to same-sex marriage so that we could be uh, more relatable to the people on the left. Listen, you don't tame a tiger by becoming uh, by becoming prey for the tiger. It's, it was the craziest thing. And in fact, I spoke for a, a very large Republican gathering in the middle of my run for Congress. And rather than take the time to talk about why I thought I was the best candidate, the best person for the job, I took the, the balance of my time to remind them what it means to be a conservative. Hmm. We don't even know what it means to be a conservative anymore in this country. Uh, and so in that regard, you know, I think going forward, what needs to happen is there has, there has to be a better vetting processes or people who are going to be running for these positions of authority. And then the Republican Party needs to remember who it is. We're the party that freed the slaves. We were the party Amen. of Abraham Lincoln. We are the yep. party that, that values human life. And it's not a perfect party, but we're talking about a platform. And the the left platform, the Democrat Party, which I'm sorry, Kennedy would not even recognize today, we're talking about not even Republican versus Democrat. We're talking about good versus evil now. We're talking about sane versus rational. And the answer is not for us to become more like them. 
the answer is for us to shore up the platform and to double down on the things that we know to be true and then proclaim them boldly. Mm. Well, Lord bless you for all your efforts. Yes, um, it certainly has a, a, it's a bittersweet thing. But when I think about politics these days, I think about by the time you get higher up in a certain position, you've had to compromise so many ways to get where you are mm. that the, the quote unquote good people, moral people, ethical people, they can't bear up in the in the the fire because social media will tear you to shreds if you uh, represent something other than what the left represents and i think that's a dilemma if we could just get good good like i said quote unquote good people to to endure mm-hmm. you know the the social media assault on every side and their lives and being the, destroyed and the, and the mainstream democrat media as well right, and right, you right. know the big tech and giants and everything else. Um, Heidi, what, what are your thoughts on that? Because when it seems like when the Republicans um, compromise, and I use that word, I mean, just so loosely, uh, it just seems mm-hmm. like the Democrats just take more ground. It doesn't mm-hmm. seem like the Democrats compromise very often at <laughs> all. Yeah. Yeah. I was just going to say, uh, right before you said that, I was going to say, when was the last time you saw the left compromise? Exactly. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, these guys are saying that they want tolerance. No, they don't. They want total capitulation. They're not interested in compromise. They're not interested in, in tolerating uh, our beliefs at all. They are interested in a total and complete takeover. And, I, and one more thing before we move on, because I, as I was listening to you, know, you're asking about uh, commenting on what's happening in the, the state of the Republican Party right now. And I just want to remind the audience that I was running in a primary. So the people that doxed me, the people that put out articles saying that I had filed bankruptcy, that um, that I had been married multiple times, the people that came to my house with and put broken wine bottles on my mailbox that said retribution, oh my the goodness. people that flashed my name across uh, the newspapers and lied to President Trump about me, mm. they were not Democrats. They were Republicans. This was a Republican primary. Wow. And that was the biggest heartbreak for me. I'm prepared. Like, put me in a ring. Mm-hmm. With Nancy Pelosi, I'm a, I'm I'm give that woman a piece of my mind. She will not know what hit her. Mm. I was not prepared. I would pay to see that. The, yeah. By the way, oh, yeah. I'm telling you, oh my goodness! But I was not mm. prepared for the level of viciousness, the level of vitriol, mm. the mm. level of wickedness that I saw coming from my own party, I'm and s- it was heartbreaking to me. Mm. It, that was the most. That was my big takeaway. I was so heartbroken. I thought mm. we're never going to win anything. If we can't even have respectful uh, conversations, I mean, to tell you, I, I think I told you, David, that when I, I had an opportunity to meet with President Trump, yes, and I spent nearly an hour with him by myself, it was extraordinary. Mm-hmm. And the very first thing that he did was open up a dossier that was sitting on his desk and asked me why I didn't pay my federal taxes. What? And I said, sir, I said, I... I do pay my federal taxes. I actually just wrote a whopper of a check, as you know. Uh, I'm a CEO. I, I own my own company. I said, I do pay my federal taxes. He said, I see here you filed bankruptcy multiple times. I, I haven't filed bankruptcy before in my life. But somebody in the Republican Party took, another, took the name of another. They found another Heidi St. John in Washington State. And they, and they took her personal information. She did file bankruptcy. She had wow. been divorced multiple times. And they passed it off as me and gave it to President Trump. Oh, my goodness. And so I spent the first, you know, 25 minutes of my time with him defending myself against things that weren't true, that uh. members of my own party 
used to injure me, and they did this through the entire campaign. That's stunning. We've got to do better than this. That is stunning. We're sitting here with our mouths hanging yeah. open. Yeah. Yeah. Heidi, uh, gosh, what? Just we're th- we're thinking, what could be the solution to this? Because good men and women won't run if they know this right. is this is the kind of thing they're going to face. So, what what do you see here? Is our Politic. I mean, we have our concerns about elections and fraud and voting and mail-in ballots and everything else and the whole fiasco of the uh, 2020 election. But uh, for to hear this, it's it's disheartening to people who really want yes. good people to represent them. Yeah, it really is. Well, uh, for right now, you know, I'm turning my attention. Everybody keeps asking me if I'm going to run again, uh, <laughs> but I'm I'm turning my attention right now to helping find good people to run. Mm. And then uh, raising, helping them raise money mm. because we have to have better people running. A candidate or a, a campaign reflects the candidate. And so if a candidate, I mean, the, the person who was running against me, who was behind all the stuff, he knew it was lies. He knew it wasn't true. But he allowed it to happen. Mm. And I reminded people out on the road. I said, listen, people will govern how they campaign. Watch what happens inside these campaigns. Wow. You know who's making the money? You know who's making the money in all this? The campaign consultants. They make millions. And I'm not I'm not joking you. I raised, I think, right around one point three million dollars running. For a primary. For Congress. For for in a primary. Yeah. In a primary. Wow. And uh most of that money is just shocking to me. It was it was so it was so shocking. Uh, almost everybody on my campaign, the people who were closest to me in the local office where they were almost all volunteers and we were working around the clock and the money that comes in goes out to the most ridiculous things. I look back on that even and I'm just like, wow, I just didn't know. I'd never run for office. And when the Lord asked me to do it, uh, I went in about as green as a person could be. Mm. And I came out with a PhD. (laughs) In, in politics. Well, we hope you, you write about can, it. Yeah, I was going to say, you need to write write this down. Yeah, yeah because, and you know, we, we keep, I mean, you mentioned election fraud. Yep. You know, I'm here to tell you that we've got to stop focusing on election fraud. I'm not saying that there's not fraud mm. in our election. There has been for many, many years, but election Decades. fraud is not the problem. You know what the problem is? We've lost the culture. Yes. That's the problem. We've lost the culture. It's not election fraud. Did you notice I'm sorry. I have to get on my soapbox. Go. Have you noticed that the Republicans only complain about election fraud when they lose? I don't see a single Republican who won any of their primaries or any of their general elections who screamed voter fraud when they were elected into that position. Mm. They scream about it when they lose. And the Democrats are the same way. When Hillary Clinton lost, what did she say? Voter fraud, voter fraud, voter fraud. I had the opportunity. I, I can't because I want to respect this person's privacy. But I had the opportunity to spend quite a bit of time with a very uh, well-known figure in Republican politics who um, has a front row seat to voting machines, to the votes, particularly the things that have happened in some of these hot, um, hot states where everyone, you know, everyone talks about voter fraud. Yeah. And he's a Christian man. And at one point with tears in his eyes, he said, I have, I have been there in a lot of these rooms and I've watched the, the voting tabulation come in. He said, he said, eventually he said, yes, we do find mistakes, uh, but he said, not nearly to the level that is being purported in the news. He said, we, we've lost the culture. When is the Republican Party going to start talking about that and taking steps to shore up that? You know where the front line of that is, you guys? It's the education system. Yeah. We're, we're cranking out by the hundreds of thousands every single year. 
kids who hate this country yes. and want to see it upended. And, uh, and that, is the real, that is the problem. And I saw this over and over and over again in my run for Congress. You know, questions that I would ask uh, of audiences, because I spend a lot of my time just reminding people about our Constitution and our Second Amendment freedoms and our First Amendment freedoms. We spend a lot of time talking about the separation of church and state because it came up over and over again from Christians who believe that uh, that that our country's foundations were not uh, Judeo-Christian foundations, which is patently false. Mm. So the church has got to do a better job of engaging. We've got to stop hiding behind election fraud, election fraud, election fraud, mm-hmm. and look in the mirror and look at the culture and say, how did we get here? We got here because of a disengaged church. We got here because from our pulpit, for decades and generations, our pastors have been saying, uh, you know, politics is dirty and Christians shouldn't be. We don't talk about politics from the pulpit. Why? Oh, I know why. Because we're cowards, that's why. Because we're worried that our 501c3 is going to get stripped from us if we talk about politics from the pulpit, which is also a lie. Preach it. But we bought it hook, line, and sinker. Mm-hmm. And so we have an ineffective uh, pulpit ministry happening when it comes to politics. We have ineffective Christians who hide behind the four walls of our churches and will not engage. Mm. And so uh, as my voice recovers from just, it was a brutal, bloody fight. And I have been asking the Lord, and I think God asked me to, to run so that my eyes could be opened. Mm. Because yeah. I was you know, all about the election fraud, all about, and I'm not, again, I'm not denying that there is election fraud. I do not believe that is the reason that we are losing. I think that the reasons that we are losing is that we have lost the culture war. Mm-hmm. Most of the issues that these candidates run and win on, if you look at the Democrats, they are so strategic. They walk in lockstep. They don't skip a beat. And the Republicans are, we're, we're, we, we run with these chaotic measures. We attack each other. We shoot people from the rear. We attack our own. Mm-hmm. And then we wonder why we can't win. I think we got to do better than that. Yes, Heidi, I think you hit the nail on the head, um, you know, pointing the finger back at us, the church, and particularly the pulpits, and the just unwillingness to engage and uh, preach the whole counsel of God and address evil and confront evil. And the public schools are a good place to start. I want to get your take. We've just got uh, four minutes left before we have to take a break. Um, Alex Newman over at Freedom Project Media talks about the lawmakers filed a bill to shut down the U.S. Department of Education. That's a good start. And also on the very same page, teenage girls drowning in sadness, despair, and suicidal thoughts. There's some new research that has come out, and nearly three in five teen girls felt persistent sadness. Uh, This was from 2021. And one in three considering suicide. This is a reflection of a lot of things, Heidi, uh, you know, parenting at home, church, and, but what happens in the public schools, and, and there's being told that they're just accidents because of evolution, right? There is no God, and so you can decide your own gender. If you're not happy, you must be the opposite sex. Share your thoughts on this and where we're at. Well, it, it goes kind of back to what I was saying a few minutes ago. The, the front line of the culture war really is the education system. It is our broken education system that's teaching our kids that they're no different than an animal, that their parents are stupid and foolish, and they have to be reeducated about things like gender. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's coming from it's coming from the wickedness that has really been coming into piped into our schools. Alex Newman and I have talked about this many times uh, over the course of the last several years. The corruption 
is baked in now to the public school system. Yeah. Absolutely baked in. And in fact, my podcast is all about this today because I responded to a video that the Gospel Coalition put out a couple of days ago uh, featuring Jen Wilkin, who's a trusted uh, Bible teacher, and uh, oh, I think Josh uh, Pennington. Anyway, he's a, a pastor in uh, Southern Florida. And, they, and, and Jen Wilkins' position was, hey, you know, we have an obligation to the culture. We have an obligation to, uh, to care about our communities. And so, therefore, she, she felt very convicted that putting her kids in the public school system was part of the, the answer to our command to love our neighbor. And Ugh. I responded on my show this morning and said, listen, when are we going to stop with this ridiculous spiritual manipulation? I heard uh, Franklin Graham say it was loving, loving your neighbor to take a shot. Take a vaccine. Mm-hmm. Love your neighbor. Take a shot. Mm-hmm. Uh, we got huge issues understanding how we love our neighbor. Yep. My sister was just in uh, at one of our local public schools. She went down there for a, a play the other day. And she wrote back, she, she texted me about halfway through it and she said, Heidi, you've got to, I took a picture, or she did, of a, um, of a student writing on the wall of a bathroom in the public school. And she was saying, you know, they tell you that you go to public schools to get uh, socialized. She said the socialization here is the worst I've ever seen. And she, she was talking about, uh, in fact, probably after the break, I'll see if I can find the quote because sure. I'd like to read directly from her. Great. It was so heartbreaking to see an, an image that this young girl had sprawled on the wall of a bathroom stall. It wasn't pornographic. It wasn't, you know, graffiti. It was a cry for help. Mm. And our public schools are broken. I don't think that Christians should abandon the public schools. I think we need to be in there. We need to become teachers, administrators. We need to be looking at the curriculum, doing all those things. But they are no place for Christian kids. They're actually no place for any kid no, right now. Amen. No place for Christian kids right now. We've, uh, Boy, we've talked so much about that. We're thankful to have Heidi St. John on the line with us from the West Coast. The busy mom, HeidiStJohn.com. Got to take a break. When we come back, House Oversight Committee announces a probe into State Department for silencing conservative views. And the death culture in Canada wants mercy killings of children. More next Your monthly financial support of StandUpForTheTruth.com is needed and appreciated. Now, back to today's Stand Up For The Truth. All right, we've got Heidi St. John on the line, the busy mom, another book coming out in a few months. And one thing she posted on her uh, social media was about the, (laughs) believe it or not, the New York slimes actually even admitted that the masks, mask mandates did nothing Will we learn anything? We'll hopefully get to that story. Plus, uh, Seattle is going to pay out $3.6 million to Chaz business owners. Uh, what a joke. But we uh, want to go back to something that we were talking about before the break. Heidi, you had a quote you were going to look up and, and share with us. Go ahead. Yeah, so this is etched on the uh, inside of a bathroom stall at a public school right here in Vancouver, Washington, where I live. Hmm. And this is, what, this is what this girl wrote. She said, they say school gives you social skills. That's a lie. Ever since I came to this school, my social anxiety is through the roof, and I've lost all my friends. It's really, it's really uh, hard how, they, how you have to learn how to face the bad parts of society, and you honestly have to dig deep yourself to find the good. Mm-hmm. I wow. thought this was so insightful. I mean, usually they're, they're you know, scrolling their phone number on and a few expletives. Mm-hmm. This yeah. girl is saying what's actually happening in the school system. And this lie that we have to send our kids to uh, to a public school in order to have them socialized is 
part of what is killing mm-hmm. our culture yes. right now yes. because mm-hmm. the socialization they're getting there is hurt, harming them. You know, when people say to me, Heidi, you know, aren't you worried about socialization? Because you, you guys know I homeschooled all seven of our kids. Mm-hmm. Praise God. And they'll say, aren't you worried about socialization? And I love it when people ask me that question because I'll say, yes, I am. That's exactly why I took my kids out of public school. Thank wow. you. Wow. Um, on Tuesday, Heidi, we talked a little bit about an article called 13 Numbers That Show How Dramatically We Have Failed America's Children. And I just want to, I want to just mention a couple of them and then what you say in your book that I thought was absolutely spot on. Uh, number three, suicide is the second leading cause of death for Americans between the ages of 15 and 24. Number five, 40% of U.S. high school students felt so sad or hopeless that they were unable to do the regular activities. Number 11, according to the CDC, 60% of adolescent female students experienced persistent feelings of sadness or hopelessness. Um, they made suicide packs. In your book, you say, and I, I really like this, there comes a time when children become very aware of the battlefield around them. This is in response to your daughter asking you about angels. And then you say, kids are usually more aware of the evil in this world than we give them credit for, and there are plenty of opportunities for them to get a glimpse of evil from magazine covers in grocery store checkout aisles to images that scroll by uh, on Netflix. Pictures of real-life tragedies are constantly present on the news and online. It's part of living in a fallen world. And Genesis does say to us the knowledge of good and evil. We were never meant to know good and evil. We were never meant to see the Mm. things that we see. And I really, really like that um, because kids have a sensitive spirit. It's not jaded yet, and they can't react to these things in a mature manner. So how can parents nurture Mm. a sensitive spirit in their kids you know, in spite of all this evil, because these unsaved kids are seeing this evil and they can't process it. What do you think about that? Yeah, wow, it's such a it's such an important topic. I mean, you guys could, and it sounds like you did. You do a whole show on this. Mm-hmm. I think parents. I think we need to start doing a better job of listening to uh, our children when they say they don't want to listen to what we're talking about. Mm-hmm. When it comes to these particular topics, like, and I have fallen into this too. Uh, especially during the last two years in my run for Congress and my frustrations would bubble over at the dinner table or Mm. I would be talking about how, you know what, the country's just lost. We're just circling the drain, you know? And at one point, my, uh, my 17 year old daughter said, mom, I, I don't, when you talk about what's happening in the country all the time, I feel hopeless Mm. because I just wonder, this is the world I'm inheriting. I'm about ready to take my place as an adult Mm. And all I see around me are images of brokenness and uh, and injury, right? And then she and then they hear it from their parents, and rightfully so. We have every reason to be upset. But I think we need to remind our children that, like Esther, they were born for this time. Yes. That we were that God didn't make a mistake when He put our seventeen-year-old daughter here, That's right. uh, and and that they are equipped. That God wants to equip them, and that He has a good thing for them. And He and He says in His Word, He will withhold no good thing. You know, I think we need to do to work very hard to to help our children see the good in this fallen world. And I think for parents especially, you know, I'm I'm always telling this to to moms on my show. There comes a point in which we need to turn off the news and just get back to walking with the Lord and saying, "Father, open my eyes to what you want me to do in this season." So, if you're raising young children, especially, uh, I think. You, you, I don't. I don't agree with the with the notion that we should shield our children from everything. But I think we need to prayerfully ask the Lord: Is my attitude uh, helping my child at this stage of his or her development, or is it harming them? Mm-hmm. Lord, help me to put a guard over my mouth when I'm in front of my children. And and we need to be sensitive 
not in a way that denies what's happening around us, but in a way that helps our children become equipped for what's ahead of them, mm. not makes them fearful. We have not been given a spirit of fear, but of power mm. of love and a sound mind. And as we talk about the headlines, and I think this is good for adults too, for, for those of us who are believers, we, we look at the world, but we don't look at death, right, without recognizing that death has lost its sting. We know in the end of this thing, God's going to win it. We've already seen, we've already read to the end of the story. Mm-hmm. We know how it's going to end. And so the question becomes, how do we engage from a position of victory? How do we engage knowing that greater is he who is in me than he who is in the world? And I think it goes back to what we were saying at the uh, at the top of the hour. It's engaging from a position of spiritual authority rather than spiritual weakness. It's engaging from a place of knowing that deep down in, in our hearts, and we can pass this on, and we should be to our children, that nothing is going to happen to us that's outside of God's uh, plan for us. And wherever he takes us, his provision will follow, that he Amen. will never leave us, he will never forsake us. Mm. And at the end of the day, he will make things right. And I think our kids need to know that, because the blunt force trauma that comes at them every single day via social media, via magazines, via, uh, like, you know, you just read Netflix, uh, it really is an emotional trauma. And I think it's, it's contributing to a lot of the suicide and depression that we see. Yeah. The church should be at the top of this and not behind it. Well, and here's a challenge, too, in Philippians 4. To, uh, here's the balance. Whatsoever things are true, honest, whatsoever things are just, pure, whatever, whatever things are lovely, of good report, if there be any virtue, there's not much, and if there be yeah. any praise, think on these things, you know, and how, why? Because then the God of peace will be with us. And I think that's a really good balance to what's going on. And as parents, we need to know when, like you say, turn off the TV and focus on the praiseworthy things. So Yeah, that's right. And and we can do it without putting our heads in the sand. Mm-hmm. That's yes. exactly right. what you said. It's the, it's it's the, the balance. balance. I, I think, Heidi, you struck a, a, an amazing balance, and I think there's a lot of wisdom in what you shared mm-hmm. on that. We're not ignoring the evil. We're confronting it, but we're not overwhelmed or focusing on mm-hmm. it so that our kids are freaked out and hopeless for the future. I want to shift gears now. We've got about 15 minutes left with you. Um, and back to politics, not to pick at the scab, Heidi, but uh, um, it was revealed <laughs> sure. by the Washington Examiner the federal bureaucracy spent hundreds of millions of dollars in taxpayer, taxpayer money uh, on censorship of conservative news outlets. This has been proven. House Oversight Committee announces probe into State Department for silencing conservative news. And another outlet said, Disinformation Incorporated, the State Department backed National Endowment for Democracy granted over 315000 in 2021 to the Global Disinformation Index, which is secretly blacklisting conservative news. Now, this isn't news to you and I and those who are informed, but it's frustrating that they've had years to try to fight this or announce these probes or to stop this. And I just would love to get your thoughts on it because to the average person reading this, it's frustrating going, okay, well, yeah, they're pouring money into this. They call it disinformation, and uh, they're actually pouring money into something that is discriminated against conservative news outlets. Yeah, well, I mean, I don't, I don't mean to uh, pour salt into that, but I don't <laughs> actually see that getting better anytime no, soon. I, I don't either. I think, no, and, you know, they, and Congress can put a probe into it if they want to, but we have a Democrat in the White House. We have a Democrat, you know, we, we're, we're, we don't have both houses of Congress. We could have, but we had such an abysmal turnout. Uh, in the last election cycle. So I think it's good that we have uh, the House of Representatives, by a, even if it's a razor-thin margin, uh, the majority is a majority. I think that's good. But I don't think the focus needs to be on whether or not Congress is going to fix this. I guarantee you they're not going to fix it. No. 
because yeah. these media outlets are owned by leftists, mm-hmm. you yeah. know, and there isn't a lot of salt right now happening against the truth. Look what just happened at Project Veritas. Yes. So uh, I think what I think our response as Christians just needs to be to recognize that we are we are living in a, in a time of severe propaganda. Just sort of picture yourself almost in communist China, because what gets out, what is leaked out and pushed out on Google, the things that you see first in a Google search and that kind of thing. I just tell myself this is probably propaganda. You've got to dig pretty deep to find the truth right now. Mm-hmm. But I think Christians can do that. We can do that by just being committed. We don't overreact every time we see a headline. We need to go, Lord, give me discernment. Spurgeon yes. said that discernment was not knowing the difference between right and wrong. It's knowing the difference between right and almost right. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And that's what we see coming at us from the news outlets right now. And I think most of us are aware that these major news outlets are corrupt. Uh, I had the CEO of Newsmax on my podcast last week talking about Newsmax being kicked off of DirecTV, mm-hmm. right? Nobody is going to tell me that that happened because of contractual agreement. No, they're trying right. to censor conservative news. Yes. And I don't think they're going to stop doing it. So we need to start uh, putting our money where our values are. I keep telling people, get in there and support Newsmax. Try to find uh, news outlets that are worthy like this one and support them and then share them with your friends. And we can do that. So it's not hopeless. But I think looking to the Congress yeah, they're to fix not gonna this fix it. is a, a very misguided approach. Yeah, amen. Uh, i got to move along because you posted something mm-hmm. that I was already going to ask you about today and talk about the mask mandates. Uh, even the New York Times said they did nothing. Will any lessons be learned? And I want to quote Heidi St. John from a couple of days ago on your Facebook. What have we learned? CDC is corrupt. Government is corrupt. The NIH is corrupt. Masks don't work. Lockdowns were criminal. And they knew they were lying. Freedom is fragile. Heidi, please elaborate. Well, I thought it was stunning that the New York Times, one of the most corrupt newspapers in the nation, yes. would come out and say, oh, my goodness, you know, this is so shocking. The mask didn't work. The evidence was there that masks didn't work in the very beginning. And, and David, you and I talked about this a couple of times, at least on your show. Mm-hmm. Uh, any any person in the medical profession, like my mom was a, a, a nurse and forever and ever. When this first started, she said, man, Heidi, this is so weird. We never wear masks to protect against viruses. <laughs> we wear them in surgery yes. for uh, other reasons. But everyone knew that they didn't work. But what was happening was we were being pushed a narrative. And I think the most stunning thing about this was for the New York Times to come out and say, what have we learned? (laughs) Really, New York Times? What have we learned? Well, we learned that you're a corrupt newspaper. We learned that. That's (laughs) the thing we learned for starters. But the hubris Mm. of these people to come out now, and instead of putting up the mirror, New York Times just put up a big fat mirror and say, Mm. what have we learned? Oh, we learned that we don't know how to get our facts straight when we report, which is what you're supposed to do as a journalist. But journalism is dead. That's another thing that we learned, and it kind of goes back to what you were saying about the censorship of actual true true news. I interviewed on my show several of the doctors from America's Frontline Doctors uh, during the middle of, of the Rona, and these were people who were actually telling the truth of what happened. They, were, they, were, they lost their jobs. They lost their licenses. Mm-hmm. They were threatened with jail. Uh, that's the country that we're living in right now. Yeah. And so when the New York Times asks, what have we learned, I think we need to sit back and really assess what have we learned. We cannot trust, and we can never let this happen again. Mm-hmm. Never let this happen again. There will be another so-called pandemic. Yep. And maybe it'll be a real one the next time. <laughs> but we cannot trust mm. our government officials or the mainstream media. We've got to do our own research. And we cannot capitulate so easily. Uh, yes. I told you, I think, uh, David, that both my parents contracted COVID after they got the shot. Uh, 
And my father actually died from COVID. Hmm. After uh, they were so vaccinated, was, afterwards. After they were okay. after they were both vaccinated and boosted. Just clarifying. And uh, a really good friend of mine who has since been had his medical license stripped from him drove into uh, where drove to where my mom lived and gave her life saving medicine. Mm-hmm. Vitamin D. They gave her. Uh, they put her on uh, an oxygen. They gave her an oxygen cannula, and they gave her things that would actually help her. Ivermectin, for goodness' sake. Mm-hmm. He lived, and my dad, who went to a traditional hospital, died. You, wow. no one will ever tell me that this was not uh, the equivalent of a genocide of our mm-hmm. people. And it was, I think, outlets like the New York Times. Frankly, I hold them responsible, and I hope when this whole thing comes to an end, and it will that Mm -hmm. we have the equivalent of the Nuremberg trials here. I'd like to see Father Fauci, the high priest of the branch committee, in jail for crimes against Mm -hmm. humanity. Mm -hmm. Amen, Because I know that there are people listening to this who, just like me, lost loved ones to this this virus, who didn't need to die. They died because they were treated with protocols that that did not work, and they knew they didn't work. Thank you. That's what we've learned. Thank you. Yeah, Brett Stevens, um, the author who's the editorial gentleman, he's been working at the Times for a long time, uh, I was real surprised to hear the things that he said. He said the main, um, those skeptics who were furiously mocked as cranks and occasionally censored as misinformers for opposing mandates were right. The mainstream experts and pundits who supported mandates were wrong. In a better world, it would behoove the latter to acknowledge their error, along with its considerable physical, psychological, pedagogical, and political costs. The people who had the courage to say as much deserved to be listened to, not treated with contempt. They may not ever get the apology they deserve, but vindication ought to be enough. No, it's not enough because they need to be held accountable for mm. their errors. So if we don't get to the accountability point, then it's really useless. This editorial is useless. But a lot of us were online, oh, you don't believe in masks. Or, you know, you're killing your grandmother. You're, you don't love your neighbor. I mean, That's it right. got virtue the, signaling. The hysterical yeah. virtue yeah. signaling got so out of even control. Even in the church. Even in the church. Um, I mean, it was horrible. Yeah. And he says, you know, vindication should be enough. No, I'm sorry, Brett, it's not enough. So accountability, accountability, accountability. Yeah, I could not agree more. It's not enough. It's it's like the newspapers coming out and saying, hey, let's just let bygones be bygones. Let's just put it behind us. Oh, yeah. no, no, no. I'm sorry. When hell freezes over, I'll put this behind me. Mm-hmm. We yeah. can never let this happen again. Mm-hmm. We can Amen. never forget that it happened. And there has to be accountability. And there needs to be justice for the people that lost their lives. And I, we have. I don't think we've yet begun to see the fallout from the vaccines. I, I, had, uh, I was just getting ready to post probably later on today another article that came out. Uh, from the Surgeon General now in Florida, and they are they are issuing stark warnings now about the mRNA vaccines, and they're a- acknowledging finally that theirs the reports of injuries from these vaccines has skyrocketed. Yep. And yet, what do we hear on the news? What do we see in the billboards around Portland, Oregon, and Vancouver, Washington? Get your boosters! Get your boosters! Really, you got to be you, you're an evil, wicked person to encourage. Uh, little babies to get this vaccine mm-hmm. and elderly people and young young healthy men to get a booster no 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 these people are liars and they're criminals and the vaccine industry has made billions off of the suffering that those vaccines have caused and now when the so-called emergency comes to an end because king biden's going to give it you know make it come to an end in may then they're going to start charging for the vaccines right now we're all paying for it the government's paying for it but pretty quick, they're going to start charging consumers to inject this poison into their system. Yeah. When are we going to tell the truth? And it goes back to what we said earlier. We have corrupt 
people in positions of authority all over this country, in the education system, in our media system, and in our government. We've got to start looking to uh, asking the Lord for wisdom, because that's what it's going to take. Lord, how can we be effective in the culture right now? How can people, good men and women, ascend to these positions of authority and start to institute both justice and change? That Both of those things need to happen. Amen. Heidi, we just got five minutes left, but I just wanted to get your take on, on all the money that has been poured into Ukraine. Uh, taxpayer dollars, this time an additional $10 billion, according to the breaking news that Treasury Secretary Janet Yellen announced that the U.S. will send. Um, estimates now of total U.S. Economic and military aid to Ukraine range from 115 billion to 200 billion in the last year. Um, Heidi Zelensky is is evil. He's the government is corrupt there. They are globalists. The people are suffering. Innocent people are suffering. The church over there pray for the church and people in Ukraine um, th- that are the victims there really. But the government isn't helping them. The money's not getting to where it should go. And the Biden administration has some very interesting ties and connections to Zelensky in Ukraine. Just share your thoughts on that. Well, it's corruption again. You know, we just saw President Biden take his secret trip over there. Here's a guy who, by the way, cannot stay on the red carpet. I don't know if you've seen scenes from his visit yeah. over there. <laughs> it's em- it's embarrassing. It is. Right? We have a president who's obviously in the middle of a serious mental crisis and cognitive decline. And he's over there when he should have been in Ohio. He should have been in Palestine, Ohio. But instead, he's over in the Ukraine giving them more money. We don't have that kind of money. The United States is on the verge of bankruptcy. And what are we doing? We're giving billions of dollars to a corrupt government? Exactly. It's it's embarrassing. It's evil. Uh, The globalist agenda on full display. But and then what he you know, he leaves the country and he stumbles again up the stairs trying to get back onto Air Force One because obviously he's a puppet. Biden is not in control of what Biden is doing. Hmm. It is the deep state. It is people that we have not elected. Uh, I mean, Father Fauci, right? Part of the deep state. We got to start talking about the deep state. These unelected bureaucrats who get into positions of authority and stay there for decades. Mm. And that's who's pulling the strings right now. And we've got to start having honest conversations about it. You know, one thing I, I will say to you, I think this is really important, because I, I know that we have conversations like this and people listen and their blood pressure rises. Because yeah. You start to think, what can I do? What can I do? I'm <laughs> drowning. I'm drowning. <laughs> I, I, I've been telling people, and this is what the Lord's been speaking to my heart lately. God gives us each authority in our own circle of influence. And so our responsibility is for the jurisdiction that God has given us. So, like, Heidi St. John, I have no control over what, you know, corrupt President Biden is going to do. You know what I do have control over? What I'm doing in my own community, what I'm doing in my own family. And I, I want to remind people, all politics is local. This is not going to be a top-down solution. It's going to be a bottom-up solution, and it starts yes. with local municipalities. Uh, who's on your city council? Mm. Who is on your school boards, for goodness sake? You guys can actually affect change locally. Amen. And so rather than wringing our hands over things we absolutely cannot control, we cannot control what the Biden administration does in Ukraine. We can certainly pray over it, and we should. Mm. But to wring our hands and to fret about it more than is, uh, than is necessary, I think, is actually doing us harm. We've got to start looking at what we can affect locally. My solution here has been to start the Homeschool Resource Center. We have just under 2,000 students there now. We are uh, helping parents get their kids out of the public school system and giving them alternatives. We can come up with alternatives to what is happening around us locally, and those local changes are going to be what what facilitates 
and pushes the change that we need in Washington, D.C. and in the White House. Thank you, Heidi. And uh, we've had, we've been blessed to have so many um, people on Alex Newman, Sam Sorbo, Israel Wayne, many others uh, like yourself. You mentioned the Homeschool Resource Center. Is there a link for that? And where can people get more information? Yeah, they can find out what we're doing at S. P-H-R-C. It stands for Firmly Planted Homeschool Resource Center.org. They can also go to SPS, Firmly Planted Family Grow. We are actually trying right now to purchase a facility that will help us reach even more children uh, than we're already reaching. And we're very, very close. We're, uh, we're purchasing an, a building in Vancouver, and we have about $1.4 million that we need to reach to, to fundraise to close the deal and be able to purchase that building. Uh, debt free, mm. and so we've already raised over fifteen million of the of the amount that we need to mm. secure that facility. So people can actually help us. Uh, I don't normally have a call to action, but boy, we really appreciate that help. That's FPF Grow. Part of what we're doing at Friendly Planted Family is uh, coming. We're going to start implementing uh, building these centers in cities all across the United States. We have an enormous vision to see homeschool resource centers like the one that God gave us mm. the vision for here. In, uh, in major cities and towns across the United States. Yeah. And I'm telling you what, it's a solution. We need to start being focused on solutions instead of hand-wringing and say, Lord, yes. give us a vision for what we can do to actually implement things that are going to help. And this is something that's actually working. Like I said, we've got just under 2,000 students now. Mm. And uh, these are God. families that are fleeing the public school system. And praise the Lord. It's a solution that's working. That's fphrc.org. We're going to put that in the podcast blog at standupforthetruth.com. Heidi, how can our listeners pray for you? Oh, man, uh, so many things. I think the, the main thing is just really praying that God gives us the strength and the wisdom to uh, be able to, to implement planting these homeschool resource centers all over the nation, that he would bring like-minded individuals that would help us with the financial piece of it. We need access to real estate buildings that are sitting abandoned that we can use, things mm-hmm. like that. So this is a huge vision, and we need prayer and financial support. And I think those are the main things at the top right now. Wow. Um, we've got to have you on uh, when your book comes out, if not before. Um, would, did you say the title of it already? I think you did at the beginning. Yeah, it, it's called Mom Strong 365, uh, Staying Strong Through the Seasons of Life. It's everyday truth for everyday moms. Mm. And it, it's just an every, every day, another devotional and a passage of scripture for moms to meditate on, grandmothers, anybody who has influence in the life of a child, uh, to, to see how the Lord can help us get off the bench and get onto the battlefield. So you're thinking early summer? It should be out, yeah. It should be. I was hoping it would be out uh, in time for Mother's Day, but I don't think it's going to make it. Because <laughs> guess what? Because of the Rona, they're having all kinds of shipping issues and oh, printing sh- issues and everything else. So chain it issues, might actually right. be. Yeah, it might actually be the end of summer. Okay. Well. Heidi, God bless you, provide for all your needs, heal you physically, and give you the desires of your heart as you continue to speak the truth and work for him and what he's called you to do. Uh, we love you, sister. Thank you for your time today. Oh, I love you guys, too. Thanks for having me. Yep. Thanks, Heidi. Uh, stay on the line if you can. Uh, coming up, Linda Harvey next Friday, Mission America. We've got the Reverend Jim Harden from Compass Care in Buffalo, New York. A little update on um, is there anything the FBI is doing in the last seven months since his uh, pro-life pregnancy center was firebombed? Uh, Brad Mattis is going to be on uh, next Wednesday. He's with Life Issues Institute. We're talking Israel on Mayor's birthday next Tuesday with Jim Fletcher. 
And Monday, we've got uh, the Reverend Jason Wolford of Mission Cry, Christian Resources International. A busy week, a busy month, great guests coming up, up even in uh, March. Thank you guys so much for tuning in. And as always, keep speaking the truth about things that matter. <laughs> <laughs>